so as Simon said, I'm Andy. Uh, we're going to look at together Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. And we're going to look at a story about Jesus. So Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. Hopefully the verses will come up on the screen. And um, the reason I want to look at this story together, apart from it's about Jesus and we're in church on a Sunday, which is a good enough reason. The worship guy said to me, what are you preaching on? I was like, Jesus, <laughs> what else do you preach on? Um, and so we're going to look at this story together. But because it really touches this question of the, the first human question, the first question that anybody asks in the Bible is, am I my brother's keeper? Cain in Genesis chapter 4. And what's the answer to that question? It's yes. So I have a responsibility towards my brothers and sisters. You know, Jesus never taught us, God, when you pray, you say, God, you are my father. Never taught us that. He said, when you pray, you will say, our father. Because he's my father, but I'm part of a family now of brothers and sisters all over the world. And so I've got a sense of brotherly and sisterly responsibility towards people. And so this story will help us, I hope, uh, look at that and understand that. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to read these scriptures and explore this story together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that your word has. Right now we submit ourselves, open up our hearts. We pray that you'd come and speak to us. We pray, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. I pray that each one here, like Simon said in the worship, that each one here would encounter Jesus today through his word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, the one other thing I have to say before I forget, because I always forget, is um, I'm, not, I'm really not very good at this. I wrote a book recently, and I've got some to sell over here, and they're 13 quid on Amazon, but 10 quid here. So yeah, do with that as you will. You could just grab one later and chuck the money in the box. That would be great. Uh, if you would like, but it's a book about relating to people from pe relating to people who are different to you. And often we turn up with all the answers and we go, let me tell you about, and they're like, hang on, we didn't even ask you a question yet. And Jesus spent 30 years listening and living amongst people and then three years talking. And so it's how can we be a little bit better at dialoguing with our town, engaging with our community, not just preaching at them. And um, so that's what this book is about, if you would like to have a look at that later. Right, Mark 5 and 21. Now this story is going to take place in the town of Capernaum. Okay, and Jesus has already been to Capernaum in Mark. And in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus went to Capernaum, he healed a crippled guy on the Sabbath. And then it says in Mark 3 and 6 that the synagogue rulers of Capernaum started planning how to kill Jesus. Okay, so he's been there once. And the synagogue rulers, the most important people in the town, are trying to plan how to kill Jesus. Jesus goes away and does ministry in other places. And now he's coming back to Capernaum. Partly you go, why would you come back there? It's dangerous for you. But he comes back to this town, and now we're going to read 5 and 21. When Jesus had crossed the sea again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, 
saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and alive. So there's a crowd around Jesus, but when this guy comes, we're told that he's a ruler of the synagogue, so he's an influential guy, and we're told his name. His name is Jairus. In the Bible, names are important. If we know someone's name, it's like, ooh, important person. So here comes Jairus. He's like the local MP or something, yeah? He, here comes Jairus. The crowd opens up, and Jairus comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is sick. Come and heal her. Come to my house and heal her. Everyone in the crowd is thinking, Oh, Jesus, this is a good opportunity for you to have friends in high places. You need upstream influence. You need people on your side. This, you know, if you can heal his daughter, that'd be a really good strategic move for you. Jesus, you should go with him. And so Jesus actually does. Verse 24, he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Because they want to see what's going to happen. Now, it's not like an English crowd. Yeah, which is very polite and cues and, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, you know, when you land at the airport in England and you start coming into the passport queue, you, you start hearing this all the time. Sorry, 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 sorry. People apologize a lot in the UK for whatever reason. And so, um, I'm sorry. And so, but this isn't an English crowd, this is a Middle Eastern crowd, so they're all squeezing, Everybody's, everybody wants to see what's going to happen in the village, it's like big gossip, everybody's pressing in, it's like, have you seen those videos from Japan where they're trying to get on the commuter trains? And they have those guys who are paid to run and jump and push them onto the train, for, it's like that kind of crowd, all pressing around him. Verse 25, as this, this is happening and they're going... We're going to meet our other character in the story now. There was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She'd heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments... I will be made well. So we meet our next character. She's a woman in the ancient Middle East, and we're not even told her name. So we've got two characters. We've got Jairus, the powerful guy, and we know his name. And this woman, ah, we, we don't even know her name. We'll just call her the woman. She comes to Jesus for healing. Normally, in the Middle East... She should have a man do that on her behalf. Jairus came and said, please heal my daughter. Earlier, Peter came and said, please heal my mother-in-law. It should have a man approach Jesus in the public space. On, but that's just the way the culture worked, okay? So she should have a father or a husband or a brother. Somebody come to Jesus. But she has nobody. So not only is she ill, suffering in pain for 12 years... She's also alone. She has nobody. This discharge of blood would have made her ritually and socially unclean. So that means nobody's going to come near her. She's like a, a, she's like a cursed woman. Oh, keep your children away. 
Nobody should touch her. When she comes into the crowd, the crowd will open up later because nobody wants to touch her. Ooh, it's that woman. Everybody knows her, and we don't want her here. Because she's ritually and socially unclean, she also, she can't offer sacrifices. She can't pray. So for 12 years, she's been on her own, away from people, and according to their ritual, can't encounter God either. So she's filled with shame. She's ostracized. She's like a a pariah. Nobody will talk to her, yeah? Also, she's spent all of her money on doctors, and it's not like NHS. These are like quacks, you know, pay me money, jump up and down six times, drink this potion. And so she's, she's wasted all her money, so she's broke as well. So she has lost everything, this lady, for 12 years. But she hears about Jesus, and she goes again. She hasn't given up hope. Even after losing everything, she hasn't gone, oh, fine, God hates me. As an, another opportunity, she goes again, maybe if I touch his garments, I'll be healed. And so she sneaks up through the crowd because she knows that nobody wants her there. And she touches the garment of Jesus. Kind of squeezes through the crowd and grabs hold of his clothes. I don't know, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you feel in some way like this woman. Maybe you've been ill for a long time. Maybe you suffer with something that, that you feel ashamed of. You feel, if I shared this with people, people would cast me out. Maybe you've you struggled with mental illness for a long time, depression, anxiety. Maybe you've been in debt for a long time and you're, you're ashamed to ask for help. Maybe you feel on your own. Maybe you feel like there's nobody in your corner. Maybe you feel like you've, you've tried everything and given up hope. That's like this lady. And she's going to encounter good news. And you can encounter good news today. Amen? Verse 29. She touches Jesus. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. She feels healing happen. It's amazing. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Somebody touched me. And his disciples said to him, Are you crazy? You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? Everybody's touching you. This is the Middle East, yeah? Everybody's touching you all the time. And he looked around to see who had done it. No, but one touch was different, he says. One touch had desperation and pain and brokenness in it. And Jesus is sensitive to that kind of touch. Lots of people want to touch Jesus. But the touch that has desperation and brokenness in it, emptiness. His power flows from fullness towards emptiness. And so she touches him with emptiness and power comes to her from him. What's Jairus thinking? Yeah, they were in the crowd. They were going to his house to heal his daughter. This woman, and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Jairus is thinking, hang on. We were going to my house. What about my daughter? Hey, over here. I had first dibs. I had shotgun. Yeah, you were coming to my house. But you can't hurry Jesus. You can't make him go at your speed. If Jesus wants to stop and wait, he will stop and wait. 
That's a word for some of you today. Verse 33, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. She comes in trembling. Jairus didn't come trembling. He came and said, come and heal my daughter. She comes trembling before Jesus. And Jesus stops and talks to her, and she tells the whole truth. This is a Middle Eastern woman who's suffered for 12 years. She's going to talk for a long time. And then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Jairus is like, hey, what about my daughter? What about my house? And Jesus says to her, daughter, Jesus calls her daughter. She has nobody, no man to take responsibility for her. Jesus calls her daughter. And he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your illness. He doesn't say, my awesomeness has made you well. He honors her in front of everybody. He lifts her, wow, everybody, look at this lady. She's got amazing exemplary faith. He honors her in front of the whole community. So her situation in a moment has completely transformed. Hallelujah. She goes from sick to healed. She goes from full of shame and outcast to being honored in front of the whole community. She goes from being alone and having nobody to having Jesus call her daughter. And she goes from being ritually unclean to now being clean and acceptable. All in a moment. Jairus, what's he thinking? This unclean woman has touched Jesus. He's defiled now. He can't, I don't, even if he came to my house, I don't want him now. Because he's, he's been defiled by her. I don't want him in my kind of clean religious house. But also, Jairus, he must be thinking, Jesus, hurry up. Don't you have some kind of triage system? She's been sick for 12 years. She can last a little bit longer. My daughter is dying now. Don't you know the difference between chronic and acute illness? Jesus. Just distracted. Oh, I'll just heal this person. Come on, can't you be a little bit more orderly and systematic? And Jesus... You need friends in high places. I know what they've been saying about you at the synagogue evening men's smoking club. I know that they're planning to kill you. You need upstream influence. You need me. Jesus, get your priorities right here. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said... Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Oh, no. It's too late. And how's Jairus going to feel now? Angry. It's her fault. Jesus was on his way. It's not a big village, yeah? He's on my, he would have been there. This woman got in the way. It's her fault. Verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Verse 37, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Again, it's not English crying. This is Middle Eastern. As I saw somebody dozing off, I was just, yeah. <laughs> and when he had entered... He said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? 
The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went into the room where the child was. So Jesus comes to the house. They're all weeping and wailing, and he rebukes them. And they laugh at him. It's one of the most shameful moments in the whole Bible that I can think of. Jesus came to your house to heal your daughter, and you're laughing at him. He says, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. Jesus knows that she's dead. But for Jesus, sleep, death is as ineffectual as sleep. And raising someone from the dead is as easy as waking somebody up from sleep. For Jesus, the author of life. He's he's rebuking them because this woman had been sick for 12 years, but she never gave up hope. Their daughter has been dead for three minutes, and they've thrown all their toys out of their pram. He's rebuking them. Where is your hope? Where is your faith? I'm here. I can do it. Nothing is impossible for me. If it had been me, and I've turned up, I've come to heal your daughter, and they laugh, I'd be like, fine. You don't want grace, I'm off. The amazing thing about Jesus, in spite of that resistance and unbelief and stubbornness and pride, he still presses through, and he's still going to heal their daughter. And that's grace. It's amazing. So he goes inside to the room with the father and mother where the girl is lying dead on her bed. Verse 41, and taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, wake up. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Yeah, if I'd been dead for a while, the first thing I want is like pizza. (laughs) You see on the news this week, the Thai boys rescued from the cave and they're interviewing them. What are you really hoping for? And they're all going spicy pork. (laughs) Like, yeah, I was in a cave for two weeks. (laughs) And they give her something to eat. And then uh, six and one, and he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. So Mark records that he takes the girl by the hand and he speaks to her in Aramaic, which is her heart language, her, her language. And it's, it's what her parents would have said to her every morning. Little one, it's time to wake up now. Talitha kumi. It's, it's what I say to my parents, to my children in the morning. Little ones, it's time to wake up now. And they throw their shoes at me. Dad, go away, we're sleeping. We're teenagers, leave us alone. But Jesus speaks to her. Little one, it's time to wake up now. And how old was the girl? 12 years old. How, how long had the woman been ill for in the story? Okay, when Mark uses numbers in his gospel, there's a significance there. He's trying to show us something. We're supposed to compare these two stories. That's why he's intercalated them. He doesn't have the woman's story and then the Jairus story. They're, the two stories are mixed. We're supposed to compare these two people. The whole time that this 
little girl has been living in her rich father's house with her nice, comfortable life, being looked after by her father. This woman has been outside on the streets suffering with nobody to take responsibility for her. But Jesus calls her daughter. That's the story of two daughters. Jesus does this healing in secret, and then he commands them not to tell anyone. Isn't that strange? Just got raised from the dead. Put it on YouTube. Become famous. Don't tell anyone. It's secret. Why? Because Jairus had come to Jesus in public in front of everyone. Come to my house. Come to Jesus in public. He does the miracle in secret. The woman comes to Jesus in secret, and Jesus declares her healing in public in front of everyone and honors her. Because the proud will be humbled, but the humble will be lifted up. And then it says they go away from there. Now, the strange thing is we're comparing the two stories. And now, just to end, we're going to compare the two stories. So you would think, okay then, Jairus is an example of pride, and this woman an example of humility. So the story should go, the woman gets the healing and Jairus doesn't. The amazing thing about Jesus is they both get healed. So we're going to compare the two stories now. So Jairus' daughter was how old? The woman had been bleeding for how long? The same time. Jairus, we know his name. He's an important guy. The woman, we don't know her name. It's like in the community, she was rubbish, not important. Jairus comes on behalf of his daughter to ask for help. The woman had nobody to come on her behalf, but Jesus calls her daughter. Hallelujah. Jairus was a proud guy, and Jesus humbles him, rebukes him and his household in front of everybody. Where's your faith? Yeah? The woman was humble, and Jesus honors her in front of everybody. Jairus approaches Jesus in front of everyone, so Jesus does the healing in secret, so there can be no boasting. The woman approaches Jesus secretly, Jesus does the healing in public so there can be no shame. Jairus, Jesus makes him wait. He gives priority to the woman and then later he heals Jairus. He changes the order of the world where the powerful and the influential are first and everyone else gets the dregs. Jesus is turning the world around. Jairus' household give up hope and are rebuked. This woman, for 12 years, she never gave up hope, and she's praised for it. Hallelujah. So just going to ask, what do we learn from this story? And then we're going to sing and close, and we'll have an opportunity for prayer. What do we learn from this story? Number one, if you're suffering, come and touch Jesus. Even today, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and power will flow from his fullness to your brokenness. In this story, touch is important. The woman touches his clothes. Jesus takes the little girl's head. Jesus is the touch of God to the world. Jesus is contact between God and us. Come and touch Jesus today, and he will meet your need. It's true. Number two, this story tells us to take responsibility for the other. It's a rebuke to Jairus, who spent all this time worrying about his daughter and not worrying about this woman who has no one to take responsibility for her. 
we ought to be like Jesus, not like Jairus. It's so easy. You know, my family has a lot of needs. I, I have four children. Two of my boys are autistic. It would be so easy to spend all my time and energy only caring about my family. I could easily spend my whole life, all my time and energy, just meeting my children's needs. But this story does not allow me to do that. This story tells me there are people outside who have no one to care for them. Who is their keeper? Who will take responsibility for them? It's true for all of us, yeah? Number three, this story tells us, beware the idol of power. It's so easy for us to think, well, you need the influential friends like Jairus. And you know, in the UK, Christianity it used to be center and we, like, we could talk to the government and we had power and influence. And now it's not like that anymore and we worry, oh no, Christianity is being pushed to the margins of society a little bit. We should be happy about that because that's where Jesus is. Jesus is working in the margins of the world. Jesus works amongst the poor and the broken and the lost. So we should, we should not be worried about losing our influence in society. Jesus came to change the world, but he does it by healing the woman first. If, if God has a bias, is it a bias towards the powerful and the, the big cities and the, influ the upstream influence? Or does he have a bias towards small towns? Well, when he sent his son to be born, was he born in the palace in Jerusalem or the manger in Bethlehem? Yeah. Number four, this story talk, talks to us about pride and humility. So those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be lifted up. Why? Because Jesus is making a new word, the, the prophetic word that was brought to us earlier by Anna. Yeah, you're, you have the same faith as each other. Jesus doesn't want a church where you have big guys and little people. If you're too big, God wants to make you a bit smaller. And if you're too small, God wants to make you a bit bigger, amen? Because that makes a good foundation, then he can build his church on that. That's what justice means in the Bible. God is trying to, it's not that Jesus is the first communist. He's not Robin Hood, yeah, steal from the rich and give to the poor. But he does, the scripture does say God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Number five, Jairus' story is our story. You know, Jairus' household, his courtyard, it was, a, it was full of death and wailing and pain and bereavement. And Jesus steps in to bring life. And they laugh at him. They mock him. But Jesus pushes through that, and he still raises their daughter from the dead. And that's, that's like Adam's story. That's like mankind. Our world is full of bereavement and pain and sickness and death and problems. But Jesus came. He stepped into our courtyard. He stepped into our world. He came to bring healing, and we resisted him. We mocked him. We're cynical. We nailed him to the cross. We killed him. But in spite of that rejection, Jesus presses through and raises us from the dead by his grace. And you know, each one of us one day will sleep. Whether, we, whether you're burned or whether you're buried in Turkey or whatever happens to your body, each one of us one day will sleep. And each one of us who is in Christ 
one day we'll feel his hand taking our hand and we'll hear the same voice in our heart language. If that's English, then in English. If it's Aramaic, then in Aramaic. If it's Turkish, then in Turkish. We'll hear his voice saying, little one, it's time to get up now. His touch will come to us and we will rise with him. And the first thing we're going to do is eat. (laughs) Hallelujah. In the renewed heavens and the renewed earth. And so this story is our story. And it's about Jesus coming to bring grace and life to all people, whoever they are, wherever they're from. It's a beautiful story. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.